Let's make sure history never forgets the name. Sci-fi melody. Got out. Tobor, the final robot frontier. Tobor, the terrific. Tobor, he's great. Tobor, the gee willikers. Tobor, the sloth. Sci-fi melody, symptom 205. Tobor, the great. Well... Not that great. The taste of Tobor's frosted flakes brings out the robot in you. Ooh, those Tobor grams. Ooh, those Tobor grams. <laughs> Welcome, sickies, to Automaton August. And I was just talking to our editor, Ruck, who's also the owner and proprietor of many of our fine shows here on Raving Lunatic Media. We'll talk about that later. But I was talking to Ruck the other day. And Scott, at the end of last year, you said, how are we going to come up with material and how are you going to keep alliterating? Well, I keep finding a way. So I have learned not to doubt your skill at alliteration. It's amazing. I, I think I'll go for Kennings soon, but we'll see. I will say that last night when I told Sarah that, oh, we can only find this movie on YouTube. It's not available anywhere else. She goes, it's probably porn. That's what he sends. <laughs> Why is everybody thinking I made two movies? You know what? No, no. We're not going to go in that direction. Anyway, so Automaton August. Movies or just sci-fi in general about robots. So I thought we would start off with something a little light and easy. Tobor the Great, a 1954 film by Republic Pictures. Da, 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 da. And, yeah, it was on, it's so old and unavailable. I love when these things are on YouTube because it's so easy to watch. It's not, how do we find it? So, Sickies, if you're ever looking for older films, sci-fi films, check YouTube first. It's a, in fact, if you're looking for matinees, check out Don's Breakfast Cereal site, and he's got a plethora of things on there. Uh, we have Matinee March, if you ever want to go back and listen to some of those goodies, too, that we went over. So, Sci-Fi Melody says that you should only watch movies on YouTube if the channel has paid for the licensing or they are public domain films. Sci-Fi Melody does not condone the stealing of content. Pretty sure this is a public domain films. When did you hear Republic Films? Anyway, so, uh, so in keeping with the robot theme, what kind of robots are we going on? Are we going with the old clank, clank, you're dead robot or the danger, danger, Will Robinson robot? Or are we going with data? Uh, so far... We're the rule. We haven't exactly decided yet, but they're all. But I wouldn't be surprised if Scott does a profile on data, just because, kind of makes sense, I guess. Although you already did that once, didn't you? I Do did. Android's it, dream of electric sheep. Yeah, and I think um, it might still be up. A lot of our early catalog is gone for some reason from iTunes, and I don't know why. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah, you can only find. And I, I wonder if we hit like a. Eh, doesn't matter. A Doesn't lot of matter. our early catalog is gone. But Scott did do a profile of data, so maybe he'll do it again. So, but data, data through the years. 
Brent Spinner. Anyway. Never got enough credit for that role. He has to play an android that is emotionless, but somehow emote and convey emotion, with the character not realizing that he displays basic emotion all the time wanting to have emotion. He did a really good job, I'll admit. So, But to answer the question, what kind of robot are we talking about today? We're talking about the old 50s robot with Tobor the Great. Danger, danger. My hands have hooks and they are flailing around. Yeah. Which is kind of the precursor. In fact, let's jump into the fun facts because this is kind of a precursor to that notion because um, the Tobor prop, the design, this is the first time in Sci-Fi Melody, by the way, where we've come up with a, well, come up with, we found a fun fact that's contradicted by another fun fact. So here we go. We have Tobor's design was the brainchild of Robert Kenoshta, the television and film effects man and prop designer. Uh, he would go on to make Robbie the Robot for the film Forbidden Planet, the very famous one that would off, also appear in Twilight Zone, by the way, in Whipple's um, Brain Trust. But also he did B9, and the, the B9 environmental control robot for the 60s sci-fi Lost in Space. So, however, there is a contrary to popular belief fact that the robot was not designed by Robert Kenoshita, but rather uh, by, according to both production sketches and movie robot authority, Fred Barton, Tobro was designed by Gabriel Scognamilo and built by Mel Arnold, who also worked on Gort for The Day the Earth Stood Still. We're not going to be reviewing that film because it's not really about Gort, but we will be reviewing The Day the Earth Stood Still. The original one, not the new one. But yeah. But, uh, so which one is it? I'm not sure, but two fun facts. You choose, and if you find out, let us know in the comments. Uh, fun fact number, number three, the original Tobor prop and remote control device is uh, still around, and they're in someone's private collection for the past 50 years. I would have thought it would have been Rob Zombie since he owns the robot from the Phantom Creeps and brings it out on stage. But, yeah, I guess someone beat him to it. Or maybe he just wasn't a fan of Tobor. I don't know. But uh, let's see. What, you were, about, were you about to say something, Scott? Um, you can definitely see the connection between the Lost in Space robot and Tobor. So I would, I would definitely tend to believe that that is the creation story that okay. it wouldn't link up that that was the same creator because it definitely the lost in space robot appears good derivative yeah. of tobor no i was also going to say though when you're searching this film out um what also came up on amazon was tobor the eighth man and it looked like some animes and stuff and i didn't know if those had any connection to this but well might have i don't see it. i haven't come across that but it's possible i mean in fact, there was supposed to be a show about it called Here Comes Tobor between 56 and 57, I believe. But the problem was that they, they filmed the pilot but never aired it, so it kind of went nowhere. I guess the film wasn't as popular. In fact, do you have numbers, Scott, on how much this cost and made? What were the earnings? It is not displayed on the Source of All Knowledge Wikipedia. All right, I guess it doesn't matter then. And the last point, it's not really a fun fact, but it's a fact I'll throw out there is that in 2010, Art Gilmore died, and therefore all the cast members are now dead, G. Willikers. So, uh, 
There's not a lot of fun facts because one of the things you notice is that one of these lesser known older films don't get a lot of them because who knows King Kong you can dig up a ton but this film really didn't get it, whoever made design the robot clearly their subsequent creations got more attention like in Lost in Space or uh Day the Earth Stood Still Gort or whatever else they did so uh or forbidden planet that kind of thing so let's move on to the quick not so i will say this is definitely not a spin-off looking at the anime art it's a human being in a costume and i'm not i don't know what this is but it looks horrible i mean maybe it it it, it could have been a source of inspiration but the only thing they took was the name because tobor is just robots spelled backwards as the creator, uh, Dr. Nordstrom, admits. So, which bringing up Dr. Nordstrom, let's get into the plot, the one minute, not one minute plot summary. Rage Masters, one minute plot summary. Ready, set, go. In the future. Literally, that's how the film the starts. The future. The future, not too far from our own. I mean, literally, it starts that way. You know what? Before I go on, I kind of like the fact that when old movies would do that, would give you the summary at the beginning, you know? So no one could claim, there's no world building. They just told you. I mean, I know there's the whole concept of show, well, don't tell. To be fair, to be fair, you're taking a real big shortcut to world building when you say, in the not too distant future. Sure. I don't but, need to build a world. You know what it is? It's our world sometime ahead. Right, but I'm just saying... And not too distant. So all the cultural norms that are here now are still here. Well, that's... And, but I... Uh, in some ways, I appreciate that. In some ways, I don't. But there's something charming and helpful about it where it just takes that edge away. No one can say, What's this happening? Why do they look like us? They did it I, in one minute at the beginning. Show. I like it better when, when franchises just say, In the future... Yeah, and, and or it, movies so that you can't get to the point like you do with like Demolition Man, and you're like, "Hey, this is supposed to have happened yeah. by now." <laughs> or the biggest right. letdown, Back to or, the Future Two, biggest or, letdown in the world. Yeah, or like Star Trek had a problem with that because they said the Third World War happened in the 1990s, and from 1996 to 1999, yeah. Khan ruled three quarters or quarter of the planet, and it's like, well. Uh, uh, you sent Archer uh, back to 2000s uh, America, and there was no evidence of a genocidal race war going on. <laughs> or uh, Lost in Space, where I think it was 1999, we went into space. It's like, uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's better to keep that vague so your film ages better. Or just do this do partly Star Trek and just go so far in the future that by the time someone can criticize you, you're full and gone. Right. Like the new horrible Bruce Willis film on Netflix, which is really John McClane in power armor. What is, what film is that? Is um, that, that tomorrow? Cosmic world? sin. Oh, what they got it in like in the 38th century. No, it's All like right, in, in like 2557, the blood yeah. general uses a quantum bomb. Wow. Yeah. We are going to review that movie. It is god-awful. Oh, we're reviewing it. But it's definitely Bruce Willis trying to make you believe that he's an old action hero in power armor. Uh, we're reviewing that in the near future, sickies. Trust me. Anyway, so 
after you we establish that this is the distant future, you find out that there the government after going into space, getting into space, has established an organization called the Civil Interplanetary Flight Commission where they've made up all these rockets and plans to explore space. But the problem is there's the human element. People cannot take the pressures of space. Now, granted, this was before uh, we knew about space travel. I mean, the only thing that had been launched, I mean, when did Sputnik get launched? Was that 54? I, I want to say it was 53 or 54. Yeah, Let me so look that all up. all we had was a satellite. So that meant that, what do we got? A world news website. There we go. Come on, Wiki. You usually show up. Uh, right away. 1957. Oh, okay. So they hadn't even done that yet. So we were assuming that, you know, if you went into space, either, either we were assuming you could just put on a helmet and swim around freely, or that the moment you left the surly bonds of Earth's gravitational pull, your head would explode, I guess. I don't know. All your organs would float out to the surface. Yeah. So blood would come out your ears. So, uh, there was so in this situation Van Allen belt radiation right so Dr. Ralph Harrison is upset that they're experimenting on people and they it starts with an experiment on an astronaut who passes out during the test and so his argument is we shouldn't be doing this because people cannot withstand it as luck would have it Dr. Nordstrom or Professor Nordstrom whatever with 22 degrees was it 22 degrees to advanced degrees he um why don't we try to be realistic yeah you don't well, have time to do de- that well it was back in the 40s and 50s when you can get a degree in a year i guess i and read very- this book and congratulations you have a degree yeah <laughs> must have been easier back then because few people went to university but anyway so this guy uh he had the same feeling so dr ralph harrison quits and then what gets picked up by Professor Nordstrom, who's like, you know, you and I are on the same page. So they go to Nordstrom's house where he reveals the uh, Tobor robot, which is supposed to be used for space exploration. On the way, we meet Gilligan, not that Gilligan, who is a reporter trying to find out a lot. And then after we get to Nordstrom's house, we meet uh, Gear. What I forget the kid's real name. Um. Well, Gadge is Gadge, his nickname, yeah, Gadge is his and nickname. his real name is Brian. Yeah, I I just started calling him G Willikers because that's G Willikers, Batman. Because he said that G Willikers and Gosh and Golly about every other minute. He's a genius to be sure. He's a child prodigy, but boy, what an imagined time we lived in back then. So, and then the daughter of Professor Nordstrom, who just looks attractive and hangs out so uh he so nordstrom after showing him the robot and shows a uh a remote to control him and says oh tobor which is robot spelled backwards is controlled by emp and they bring a bunch esp of esp thank you so yeah geez that, not that would have the opposite effect so he brings in all these reporters to say, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they demonstrate how Tobor uses ESP. But then there's a 13th person because there's some spies from, a, uh, from another country, Soviet Union, and uh, they're trying to steal Tobor. So some hijinks ensue. Uh, they try to steal it. 
somehow, some way, the security system at Professor Nordstrom's house alerts them. So they kidnap, Ga- uh, what's his name? G. Willicker's name? What do they call him? Gadge? Yeah. Gad, they kid. So instead, knowing that they can't beat a security apparatus. Well, wait, wait. They're the worst criminals ever, by the way, because no, they're running gonna be away from. That's going to be okay. a rip. Hang on. Okay. We're not doing that now because that's the obvious rip. That was my first rip, and you're going to rip into it too because when you see it, you're like, what? So what happens is Gadge and Professor Nordstrom get an invitation. The, the crooks, the foreign spies who are working out of a gas station nearby, realize, well, we can't get in, so let's lure them out. So they send an invitation to go to some planetarium nearby that would help um that would they were giving him an honor or something like that and they show up nordstrom and gadge and they get kidnapped and right before they get kidnapped though because nordstrom knows that these guys are trying to steal tobor he has his assistant make a tracking pen so that if tobor if he turns on the pen tobor could follow them and save the day so what winds up happening was that uh, they get kidnapped and they say, give us all your mathematical equations. Tell us everything. So Professor Nordstrom pulls that pen out and uh, he turns it on and Tobor literally becomes Tobor, the destroyer of Nordstrom's house. <laughs> because he just busts through the wall from his secret lab with all these generals and senators around who are there. That was supposed to be the debut night. And they said, we want to see this Tobor. Well, they saw him break through a wall. Then they saw him just, <laughs> he breaks through the window. <laughs> That's actually a pick of mine later. Cause it's just so funny. There's a door right there. Instead, he just walks through a window. <laughs> He's like, ah, I don't have time. And so they, they take him. Uh, he Tobor walks around. What finds him eventually? Uh, Professor Nordstrom. The army follows him. Oh yeah, an MP sees Tobor and shoots him, and Tobor just knocks him out with a hit. One of those classic fifty tap on the shoulders, but you know, knocks him out. A Kirk. We'll call it a Kirk attack. A Kirk chop. A Kirk chop. And uh, with the and with the actor doing a Kirk fall, by the way. And then Tobor gets there. They cap. They rescue Professor Nordstrom and or is it Nordstrom? Yeah, we'll just Nord say Nordstrom. Nordstrom. Professor Nordstrom. Nordstrom. And Gadge. Terrible name. And then finally, uh, they convince the army and the congressmen are convinced that oh well, we could send him in a rocket to Mars, no problem. Because they also did tests earlier and found out that yeah, the stress was hard, but he can hack it. And so at the it ends with. Oh, yeah, it ends with uh, Tobor getting in a rocket and getting shot off to Mars. If that was disjointed, yeah, it was, because I kept getting distracted by the rips and picks, because let's just roll into this. I gotta, I'm going to start with two picks and then do my rip, because I know Scott wants to do the rip. One of my picks was watching Tobor drive a Jeep. It just looks so funny to watch him driving a Jeep. He looks so out of place. It was like, he was like three feet taller than the window. And he wasn't doing anything. It's like they, they clearly put his hands on the wheel and put a brick on the gas pedal and like locked the steering wheel in place so it would go straight. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's just like Tobor climbing it. Uh, they don't show you him climbing into the Jeep for obvious reasons, but it's just like. <laughs> okay. And the next one was him just breaking through the window. Ah, must say, <laughs> Professor. And it's like something out of The Simpsons where the robot just breaks through the wall. <laughs> Clearly, we know where The Simpsons got it now, or the Kool Aid Man. Because Tobor's like, oh, yeah. Screw your walls and masonry. <laughs> I got to save the professor. <laughs> I can't. I don't have the time to go through that door. Yeah. I can pilot a rocket ship, but I can't recognize yeah. the door. Which would be, if I was the senator, I'd be like, wow, he found the professor. But do we really want to trust him with a rocket? I mean, imagine if he has to go somewhere and an asteroid's in the way, and he's just like, Screw your asteroid! I don't need that noise! And he just plows through an asteroid with a trillion-dollar rocket. But So those are just funny moments, but the rip. Uh, wow. These spies, criminals, are really dumb. So first, to get over the fence in to try to kit steal Tobor, they bring a pick uh, tow truck and put a ladder over the fence which is like oh well the ladder's not the dumb part the dumb part is beep right beep, the tow beep, truck in the crane which wakes up gage and gadge then, gadge whatever which is the worst nickname ever yeah well, gadge, it was supposed to be like gadget. gadget yeah so then somehow they still wind up walking through the fence and the intruder alert goes off which okay fine then for that series that's fine but then to scare them off they play World War II sound effects from San, the film Sands of Iwo Jima. And it scares these guys off. So, I, I mean, think about it. You're hearing machine gun fire, which, okay, could subtle, startle them. But then you're hearing artillery and airplanes fly overhead. None of them think to look up like, oh, crap, there's a dive bomber. Wait, no, there's not. Where's that coming from? They just hear the noise and they're immediately like, Jesus, the feds! <laughs> and they just book it. It's like, wait, are you dummies going to bother looking around? If I walked out to my car today and I heard all that noise, I wouldn't be thinking, oh my God, there's a war! I'd be thinking, geez, someone needs to turn their sound system down. Someone needs, someone's really enjoying that war movie. Yeah, the professor probably doesn't have a private army equipped with an air force on his property. Um, oh, I'll stay ripping in this scene. Gadge wakes up. Why does your 11-year-old son have a 22 rifle in his bedroom? Uh, back in the... Uh, that, come on, Dad, I brought the 22. Feasible. Now, we got some great parenting. Gadge, come back. No, come on, kid, let's go chase down the spies. I you sh- take the gun, the guy's just gonna run unarmed and let the kid carry the 22. I believe that. And then bullets fire he pulls him down and he doesn't send him back at that point they're firing back and they let the kid keep running with them he's 11 in this modern day i could totally believe that with i mean there was the 17 year old that shot a black lives matter protester yeah giving a child a 22 and letting him chase after criminals all you have to do is have him scream stand your ground and i'm gonna be honest i feel threatened and i believe that part if my if my 10 year old nephew is in the house and i think someone is breaking in and i'm going to chase them away off my property 
I'm not letting him come with me. Yeah, that's you. I don't think any sane person should arm their 11-year-old son or grandson and have them come chase the robbers off. Well, I would agree with you, but I'm just saying. Of, of all the ridiculous things in that scene, that's the one I give the least. And then, to. but okay, hold on. We could take the 11-year-old boy with us to chase the robbers off. But my 30-something-year-old daughter has to stay back and guard the house where it's safe because lady folk can't be involved in running off the bad guys. Yeah, and we can't arm her or anything right. like that. She's just, just going to stand here in her evening dress, and if they come along, she's going to slap them and be like, Get out of my house! Or no, it, that she wouldn't do that. She'd be like, Oh, Tabor, help me! Um, yeah, and then I do have a pick, though. This line... This line is such charge with innuendo and they got it through the sensors. I have to I have to park my car. Would you like to help me with the garage? I would love to. Oh, I know. No one is that happy to help a woman park her car right. while opening up the garage. Yeah, no, they <laughs> I you gotta wonder where the sensors you have to figure that like prude church lady was the censor that day who really doesn't get innuendo. Right. And that was so much in you. I love that line, though. That's just 1950s yeah. for, um, I need some attention down there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm thinking that they just got a Prudo. Oh, this lady doesn't get innuendo. Let's, put, let's, uh, let's add one in and then laugh it off. Because you also have to figure someone heard that and blushed in the audience. Like, how did that get in? Right. <laughs> but... Uh, one of the uh, rips, I would say, is the fact that, so, they made Tobor, and he has ESP. So, ESP is now science? We're going backwards now? I mean, I remember at the turn of the 20th century, when the belief in fairies and alchemy was scientific, okay, but I thought by the 50s we moved on from that. Well, to be fair... They can now turn lead into gold, but it takes, um, it costs something like $2.5 million to use the particle accelerator to create something like six cents worth of gold. So they have yeah. figured out alchemy, how to take that atom away <laughs> and turn it into gold. Oh, okay. But it's not profitable. And it's not alchemy. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, it all depends. Is the professor's laboratory near a ley line? Because then you would have ley line oh, factors. Oh well, gee, that's true. I, I, I didn't commit. I didn't consider geomancy. Excuse me. Mm, sorry, man. How stupid of me. What are those standing stones in France that the ancient aliens guys love that they say you could see from space? <clears throat> uh, France or England? You mean you mean Stonehenge? not Stonehenge? No, 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 no. It's the it's like the arrange of tombstones. I in, have no idea. Oh. David Hatcher Childress loves well, it. Well, Google it. You have the computer right in front yeah, of you. Anyway. You know what you're looking for. Yeah. I, you can see it from space, huh? Yeah, whatever. They say that about the Great Wall of China, and it's not true. So let's see. Karnak the Karnak Stones. stones. Uh, oh, yeah, I have heard of Is these. it near? You haven't heard of the Karnak Stones that channel energy like that? Maybe that's what the professor's using. That's science, man. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry. It's ancient alien Maybe science. Maybe Childress... You have to ask, was Tobor the Great built on alien ESP technology? Might have been. Uh, one of the rips would be Gadge. I know he's supposed to be innocent and all that, and you're supposed to go, oh, look at that, how nice. But, um, no, he's just annoying. 
And maybe maybe the cynicism is coming out here, but hearing G Willikers and Golly all the time. Well, plus here's one. Here's one. Grandpa, can I go down? Dad is missing, but Grandpa, can I go down and see this? No, but I suppose you can listen in. Well, at that point, why don't you just let him in? Oh, because the journalists couldn't uh, handle it. They're not mature enough. I, I guess. Um, oh, oh because... uh, the dad missing is, is a pick, too. So we've got Grandpa, and we've got, you know, there's got to be a love interest, not love interest, for the other male lead. How did we get him out of there? Uh, dad died in Korea a few years back. Yeah. So now, and, and then make sure they tell you that instantly, because the audience is going, oh, that's his daughter. So where's the husband? And then in comes Carl. Ah, uh, the dad died. Grandson's a genius. The dad died. It's open for you. Yep. <laughs> She's well, been alone for a while, man. <laughs> well, plus people who would have seen that would have been like, oh, he died in Korea? God bless that man. So I, I did not like the Gadge character for a couple reasons. He's supposed to be a genius, but I don't see a genius as much as I see a precocious child. Um, Look, he figured out how to get Tobor back in his box. Yeah, I saw how he did it. There was no science to it. He just kept hitting just buttons kept hitting until buttons. one of them put the robot away. Yeah. There was no, like, uh, how'd you figure out how I opened up my, uh, algorithm? My, my hidden room? He said logarithm. Today, oh, it logarithm. would be algorithm. Logarithm. Uh, that, yeah, back then, logarithm. Today, it would be, it would be fractal algorithm. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, but at least he did it instead of using a computer bot. Right, but it. Did he do that, or did he just hang out back there and watch Grandpa open it up one day and remember how to do it? Or just do a butt-ton of trial and error, since it's correct. Like he had a lot of stuff to do otherwise. Yeah, uh, and, and his security is terrible. Uh, your whole security <laughs> system can be scaled with a ladder. Yeah, and, I mean, it's nice that he has an intruder alert, but then the no- sound effects, it's like, what? what? It's this remarkable problem to rely on an unmanned wall for any type of security because you can climb over it or dig under it or yeah. put a hole in it. Yeah. But walls work. Yeah, when they're manned all the time in every spot, sure. Until they don't. But I don't think we're talking about the movie anymore. Yeah, we, we're going to go back to the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, Gage was, Gage was just kind of annoying. and uh, yeah, that's right. When he, oh, he figured out how to put him back in his cage. Yeah, by randomly flicking buttons on a control controller. I could have done that. So, um, but just also, that I this is a pick. It should be a rip, but it's a pick. Whenever the Tobor would attack someone, because it was just funny watching him, like, hit the person, and the person have to do a Kirk drop. <laughs> like Mr. Gilligan. I'm never going to get over that name. Oh, man. You know what this made me realize? The axe attacking him. And uh, he just, first of all, why are there fire axes in there? I don't know. Convenient prop placement. Yeah. But the way he just turns around, hits him, and Gilligan, the way he falls down, it's like, did you slip on a banana peel or did you fall? Or did you, like, get knocked over? I'm not sure which. This movie made me realize that at one point, Gilligan might have been a common name, and it made me realize that I have never met a Gilligan in my life, nope. and that that TV show she killed that it. name. Yeah, Bob Denver, for, you killed the name Gilligan. For a whole generation, no one will be named Gilligan. <laughs> Can you imagine that? What you're going to name your son? Oh, Gilligan. And then they turn on a TV show. 
Or maybe Michael would be better. Or even worse, you bring your kid home from the hospital for the first time and you've named your son Gilligan, and like three weeks later that show comes out? Oh God, what have I done? Honey, I think we need to legally change our kid's name. <laughs> well, you just call him Gil. Yeah, there you go. Your name go. is now Gil. <laughs> As in Gilbert? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Gilbert. <laughs> Yeah, Gilligan. Because every time he said Gil... In fact, that was almost the episode intro. I was going to do that. Now sit right back and you'll hear the tale. The tale of a fateful bot who got shot into space in a rocket and without a sock. I don't know. <laughs> without but, a sock. <laughs> but, you know, uh, a little boy, he walked around and flipped a bunch of switches. And the woman in this movie did absolutely nothing. Oh, man. There, I mean, that is, yeah, 1950s portrayal of women. Yep. You're either a victim or you're just there for the look. I mean, it, she wasn't even a love interest. I mean, well, there, except for was, some innuendo. She doesn't even get a love story romance line with him. Yeah, but... She's literally a, just window dressing. There's a good reason for there's no love interest, aside from the fact they didn't want to feature her at all, I guess. Was that you have a runtime of an hour and 18 minutes. You really don't have time to develop a love interest here. 1950s well, portrayal of women. What are you here for? Cook my dinner, clean my house, wash my clothes. Yep. Get back in the kitchen. And put on <laughs> that attractive dress, please. This is definitely by far the weirdest thing that you guys have ever told me to do, but... Alright, I do feel pretty in the dress. So, a pick. And this is not going to be nice, PC, but... I like these movie posters. It shows Tobor carrying this damsel in distress. And of course, at no point in the film does this happen. It was put there purely for sex appeal. To attract the male audience. Plain and simple. Because of course, she's got her legs out and is revealing. But, and uh, she's carrying her. And you're think- what you're thinking when you see the poster is, oh man, he's going to kidnap that hot woman and... Oh, they're going to have to go save her and all that. And then none of those things happen. So, I, you know, okay. Uh, but I do like 50s movie posters. So, I'll give, I give that one a yay. I'll give it a pick for the props. The prop design for the 1950s was excellent. And as far as um, old um, run amok or good robots go, um, it, it's well designed. I actually did, as I was watching this, though, I thought it's got, it's not just an action-adventure rescue movie. It is, but it isn't. But it's got all the, the potential to have a real discussion of science fiction things, too. Yes, I was going to say, is there a deep meaning here, aside from the obvious espionage concerns of the era, which are blatant for all eyes to see, but... And I, I, I'm going to fall back here before we get to Scott's deep meaning. The notion of... I, I've, I mentioned this back in Godzilla, but I think it bears repeating. People have often said, well, I don't like politics in my movies. Well, you act as though this is new. It's not. But you can be... Ideally, you want to try to insert it subtextually. Or do like something that Gene Roddenberry did where you put it on another planet so you can see a reflection. 
But you don't always have to do that. That's not necessary. Uh, I think the difference is if you're going to be bonk you over the head like here, it has to be, I make three criteria. One, who's the speaker? This is not a, an actual pure, it has to be this way, but it has to be coming from someone of genuine concern. Like the Japanese scientist in Godzilla when he was warning about using science to make super weapons. That's someone who experienced this problem. So there's, so there's some genuine concern there. Or in this case, uh, a society in which espionage from the Soviet Union was a real concern, especially as we're entering the atomic age with atomic weapons. This was coming from this place of real, actual fear. Does it have to be that kind of, does that have to be fulfilled for bonk you over the head to be okay in my book? And again, this is my book. No, it just helps. Um, the second one is authenticity. Is it someone, is it coming at you in a pleading manner or preachy manner? Because going back to the step one, if you look at, for example, Disney, Disney will scream about how you have to be so inclusive and consider race and all that other things until China tells them to stop and then they stop. You know, if you compare the episode seven movie poster in China with the one in the rest of the world, Finn is practically a pixel because, you know, China wanted it that it's way. a secret about Disney. Disney is only woke because it thinks that it makes them money in the yeah, United States. Exactly. Where it doesn't make them money, they don't care about it. Right. If, they think, if they're not going to get credit points, they won't do it. And that's why I'm saying, when I, depending on the person, if I'm getting, you know, if I read a novel from Octavia Butler, she is coming from a position, if you don't know who that is, she was an African-American woman, sci-fi author, great film, great books she wrote, but she, it's coming back, the themes she writes about, she has experience in. She's speaking from the heart. So it adds to that authenticity. Disney doing it? Um, no, they're, that's disingenuous. Uh, second is again, preachy versus pleading. Uh, this isn't ple this isn't preaching to you. This is almost a pleading. Like this could be a real problem guys. And it was incidentally, I mean, McCarthyism aside, there were Soviet spies in the U S there were U S spies in the Soviet union, but I mean, that was a real thing. Spy games were a real thing back then and everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. In fact, Scott, real quick, Google the, um, oh, what was the name of that, that couple that stole the atomic bomb secrets from the U.S. for Soviet Union? What were their names? Don't uh, know. Just write 50s atomic bomb secrets stolen. You're getting a behind-the-scenes look at sci-fi melody. Because what you're seeing right now is... Uh, the Rosenbergs? Rosenbergs, thank you. And that happened when? When did they do that? 1949. Okay, see... So that was clearly a concern. Everybody knew about that in some degree or another. Uh, then you also have, so that's point two. And point three, are you trying to make the situation better or are you trying to shame people? And that goes along with if you're preaching, you're trying to shame. And this movie doesn't do that with the concerns about espionage. This isn't like telling people to go be McCarthy. It's telling people, it's using a real fear. 
Uh, again, do you need to do part three? No, but that's kind of my three-pronged test. And that's just for me, myself, and I. You sickies might have a different standard. You might say, hey, no, I, I enjoy when I'm being preached to, or we, I enjoy that. And that's fine. We've bantered this that. about a lot, and I'm going to say this. I don't think that our entertainment is any more politicized today than no, it was 50 years not ago. Not at all, not at and all. And I don't think that it's done any more or less ham-fistedly today than it was back in the 50s. No, I don't. There was I a lot agree. of there was a lot of bonk bonk over the head sure, and sledgehammer sure. to the face type of um ham-fisted moralizing in our sure, entertainment. Absolutely. Here's here's the difference to me. Your reaction to the message in a show, and if it's too preachy, if it's too direct, is directly related to your willingness to hear the message. And the thing is that, yes, this country was divided in the 60s. Yes, it was divided in the 70s, the 80s, and 90s. But we have reached a point of polarization where there are no more shades of gray. It's not that we're divided. It's that we're polarized. And very few times in a country's history does it get as polarized as it is today where there's not only no room for nuance, there's no room for any deviation. You are all in on one side or you are all all in in on on the other other side. And you're forced to the wings of everything because there is no middle ground to move to and there is no consensus to speak. So if you're seeing a message that is pro-life, pro-choice is the best example because there's never really any room for middle ground in that debate. You're going to come down on one side or the other in most cases, and you can't find a middle way to it. And we've turned that into everything in this country. There is a right thought and a wrong thought. And if you're not with our thought, you're in the wrong thought, you're our enemy, and you must be prevented from getting control and ruining our culture. And that's where the preachy part comes in. That's why the preachy part is bad, because it's not just, it's that polarizing issue. If you go back to Godzilla, at no point in their warning about the weapons are they looking at the United States going, this is all your fault, you evil, evil people. It's more like, can you believe we got right. here? We're Do still we really try- want right. to keep doing this? We're still try- we still believe, okay, in Godzilla, we still believe that the people who developed atomic power were developing it. They weren't evil and just bent on, they weren't horrible human beings that needed to be stopped or suppressed at all causes. Yeah. Today, we've lost that ability. We're not rationalizing with people. We're preventing the destruction of everything by stopping them. And they must be eliminated. There's not... And, and that's what comes across. And when people believe this, anytime they pick up a whiff of something not giving them their preferred line of thought on the subject, of the they way. shut it down. They shut it down. Star Trek would not be the success that it is today. It just wouldn't. No. It, and, and that's amazing considering it was in the height of the Cold War... And, and, and it's a very political show. And Gene, uh, you know, what fully he had, a, he had a crazy change in opinion between the 60s and the 80s, but um, he had some socialist leanings in the middle of the Cold War. But this film, it's all there. There's a, there's a discussion immediately about the, the potential of militarization mm-hmm. of this technology. And right. as, as Dr. Nordstrom says, Professor Nordstrom, um, we're using it for creative purposes. Imagine what could happen if someone was going to be able to teach a sentient robot um, destructive purposes. Right. And you can see there's a battle for the usefulness of it 
and and uh, which is the proper use of this technology and the ever-present fear in science that even if a technology's creators are designing it with good purposes and noble purposes at heart, there are people who can only think of how to weaponize that technology immediately. It doesn't matter what the technology is. It will be weaponized. And that's the case for since this dawn of mankind. Correct. That you make an item that, wow, this would really help people. Someone's going to find a way to twist it and it's, pervert it. Yep. It's definitely there. Now, the thing that I wish they would have dug deeper to, and they kind of brush aside, because I always love this conversation, they called Tobor a sentient robot. Now, is he a sapient robot is a different question. But they're trying to make you think that Tobor feels love, feels remorse, is capable of recognizing and interpreting emotions and reacting to them. Um, but they don't ever actually show you that. And part of that is that this is a robot that can't talk. But it's also a robot that by its fixed features can't really emote. And even when they're trying to show you that Tobor is emoting, they have to do that by him like kind of hugging and, and uh, um, Brian to say he's sorry for knocking him over. Or they show him getting angry by rapid jerky movements. But the thing is, there's nothing in this film that makes me believe that Tobor has sentience or sapience or self-awareness. You know, it seems to me that he is just following controls and rudimentary programming. Usually when this is done, I come down on the side of that the robot is truly sapient in the way that a human being is uh, because it's demonstrated. The robot is demonstrated to truly have, or the artificial intelligence is demonstrated to truly have the emotions that a human being does. Not only is the robot demonstrated in most films that discuss this to have the feelings that a human being does, but human beings are capable of having those real emotions for it. And that's kind of my litmus, litmus test to the next part of it. You know, not only is this artificial intelligence or construct capable of imitating emotions, but we believe that they truly have them. They truly are self-aware and they see themselves as a unique being, but they're able to induce those emotions in somebody else. Now, maybe that's the wrong litmus test to have because human beings have an ability to anthropomorphize pretty strongly to anything. But this film... Instead of showing you that Tobor is sentient, just tells you. And I don't see anything that Tobor does in this film that goes beyond programming to make me believe that it is a sentient being, and Tobor certainly not a sapient being. Well, I wonder if that's partly due to the limitations of special effects. Yeah. They couldn't really demonstrate. Like, today, you could try to show... Well, first of all, the robot wouldn't look like that no. today. But second, uh, I think they... Today, you would have a robot that looked perhaps more human, or at least it could have, speak. Like, could speak. It would have a, and and the speaking would be more human. Like a robot in those mm -hmm. days was, yes, Tobor understands. You know, and so, given the understanding of the day and the limitations, because today we would have the robot emote. Yes, and that's what I'm saying. The robot can't emote. It's a fixed featured robot. Right. They We're, they do couple, like they have him. They have him like caressing and hugging Brian after he hurts him. But it looks weird. It does, and it doesn't convey. It's it and it misses. But then here's my other part of this. Professor Nordstrom is so upset that they're going to send human beings into space and risk dying. And he says, you shouldn't do that. But this sentient being, on the other right. hand. If you've created a truly sentient, sapient robot, aren't you doing the same thing? I, you're saying that it's life. And on one hand, you're saying it's a sentient, sapient being capable of emoting and experiencing emotion and recognizing it. 
but its life is worth less than biological life because it's synthetic artificial life. An interesting twist to this would have been that uh, at the end, Dr. Nordstrom realizes that it's just as wrong to send Tobor into space as it would have been anyone else. And maybe more wrong because Tobor can't volunteer. I think the difference here would be that uh, it's more about possibility of mortality. Whereas Tobor can survive the trip, mankind couldn't. It's the case of, uh, so if we were going to play a, a game of football, American football, it, I wouldn't send you, Scott, into the NFL. You'll get killed. Whereas, and I think that's the difference, whereas sending someone who is an NFL player, that's fair because they're of that caliber. It, I think that's the idea that we're sending someone who can hack it versus someone who can't. So even though Tobor's sentient, he's designed to withstand the rigors of space. Therefore, it's okay. Whereas mankind, who is not capable of doing this, you're sending him into a suicide mission. You're killing someone. You are absolutely killing someone. It, you're being careless. You're treating man like, well, they call him a guinea pig. So I think that's the difference here. Yeah, I, I guess Tobor is supposed to stand in as the guinea pig, but he's a mechanical guinea pig. But that's a good alternative view of it. I just, I think there could have been a deeper discussion there that this movie, it missed on it. But, and sure. I'm not going to say because it's from the 1950s, it's okay that it missed on it. Because stuff from the 1950s, Godzilla did the same thing sure, and, and examined these Dave things. Stood still, we'll, right. which we'll get to. That's, that Whereas this film guy. didn't do that. It did miss there. So it sounds like Tobor needs to be in that version of Measure of a Man. Yeah, if you're going to call it a sapient, maybe not full measure of a man, but if you're going to tell me that it's a sentient robot, you got to do more to make me believe that it's a sentient robot and not just a cool toy that has a remote control that's learning how to self-automate. Well, that and the, the ESP feature was really just him reacting. To, uh, barring, let's take out the whole, that wouldn't work, that's not scientific. Let's just say it works. That's him just reacting to other people because the compassion he felt towards Gadge was only because it was like, oh, Gadge is upset. I should do this now. Or when you're aggressive against him, he re responds in kind. So is that really Tobor or is that just kind of some logarithm that is telling him this person feels that way? You should respond yep. in kind. It kind of reminds me of in Demolition Man when the police arrive to arrest Phoenix and there's a computer telling them what to do and say. Yep. And that is that what's going on with Tobor, where he's not really feeling. It's just a computer, to, a computer brain told him, you should go comfort the boy. Is the best thing to do with a robot that has ESP and can learn and train itself and its artificial intelligence by, shall we say, reading the minds and the emotions of other people to give it a transmitter that will let it communicate with every mind in the world? Because, I mean, Tobor has a strong sense of right and wrong in the end because he's, I mean, he's equally in contact with these people who are ready to potentially kill a child, torture a child to get this secret. Yeah. What is Tobor picking up from that? Well, he also, like, I mean, there's a lot of malevolence. Like, remember when he grabs the face of that thug? Oh, and the nose twist? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you're getting the idea that if this were a modern movie, that claw would be cutting in and you'd see blood everywhere yep. and... Basically, it was crushing the guy's face to death. And there's a lot of malevolence there. So is also, that begs the question, 
is the emotion he's serving back magnifying the emotion he was given. So in the case of malevolence, so if someone wants to hurt him, is he going to like triple that and meet it back? Or if someone's going to show him compassion, is he going to? Because obviously Gadge, like when he hurt Gadge by, by accident, Gadge clearly wasn't, he was upset, but he still loved the robot because boy and his robot, I guess. You know, this kind of reminds me, a couple weeks ago, I sent you and Thomas an article I came across yeah, to where... Yeah, scary thing. What, what they're really doing here at the moment with, to, with Tobor, Tobor is an example of a robot that can learn and then adapt itself. Mm-hmm. As of yet, we don't have computers that can create their own code. Not far away. They are in development right now with computer software, and this might be the next thing in computing. And the reason that they have behind it is they want um, people who aren't programmers to be able to program, where you give the program a set of non-specific coded things. You say, um, uh, I want to create a baseball game. And I say, okay, set up the parameters of a baseball diamond, and I describe it to the computer, and the computer knows how to take that request and write its own code. And then I say, okay, put players in here and attributes, and, you know, the ball is going to... And by without actually coding that in specific language, it can pick up in generic language what I'm telling it and then write its code. And then it can also kind of... That follows to a self-correcting code, and computers, they're working on software that can add to and change its own code. Now, and if that's not Skynet, I don't know what is. Well, not only that, but let's just say it doesn't turn Skynet. Um, you do realize, creators, and uh, actually they do realize it. That's why they're making it. You're trying to put d- programmers out of work. There's going to be a lot of programmers that lose their job. Not all, Yeah, you but would... a lot of your average data cruncher will lose their job. That might be way down I, the road, though. Because why do I need them if the computer's designing that basic code? Right. You're still going to have the demand for people who do high-level code to right. design but that your, program. Your basic right. entry-level entry level cruncher, I don't need them anymore. No. they're gonna. It's, it's a design to give the common people who don't have coding knowledge the ability to do some rudimentary coding and program design. What really I think is more likely is the case in the expanse where on earth unemployment is soaring so high because so much has been automated that there's very few jobs left. I think that's more likely to come out of technology like this. Yeah, probably. Even Tobor, you know, so he, if he can survive the rigors of space and he can drive a Jeep, uh, what? Why can't we have him flying planes? Well, I mean, Why can't we have him driving the trucks? I mean, he could drive a truck without stopping to rest. You know, it's going to sound really bad, but um, I've always said that at the moment, I believe that the capitalist model is the best engine for society and prosperity in society. But the ultimate eventual theory of Marxism is that at some point, capitalism will evolve into communism. Would it be such a bad thing if you could automate all the work and production that is necessary in an economy to create goods, services, luxury goods, foodstuffs, um, energy, and people didn't have to go to work to do that, to produce that? And you could automate all of a society. Sounds like Star Trek now. Divide those resources and then put people into positions where they can pursue research, development, um, Arts, literature, science. Sounds like science. Star Trek, actually. 
if you I'm still not sure how you get rid of money, but still. Well, I mean, exactly. But you might have some like uh, there's some that's non-currency based economics. But if you really could get to the point where you could produce everything a society needs without human labor and capital, then you would rethink the economic system. And at some point, as you reduce the need for human labor and human capital, you probably do have to go to some sort of, of you know, they call it basic income in, in sci-fi a lot, yeah. you know. You probably do move to something like that. Well, I mean, not to go too far off the path. I, mean, I guess it follows because Tobor, like I just said. I mean, we're nowhere replace, near it. Tobor can replace humanity if there's enough of them. But yep. um, it's foolish to assume that any particular economic system will last forever be it socialism or capitalism. I mean, if you don't believe me, hey, how's that feudalism working out? Hey, remember mercantilism? Remember all those other isms that were dominant? I mean, if you look at the economy of I if mean, you look at the economy change. of America in 1830, it's not the same as it is now. The economy of America no. in 1900 is radically different than it is today. Look at it, you know, early America was agrarian and based on contract individual handshake labor. Right. Labor capitalism is a new thing that, I mean, new historically that's really only been around the last couple hundred years. Yeah, so, I mean, the Industrial Revolution changed everything. Uh, the Scientific Revolution and the Enlightenment changed everything. So the, the supposition right. that, uh, oh, we're always going to have the, the current mode of production this way. No, not until it either, A, gets replaced by something better or necessity situation necessitates the change as as technology grows it creates a different organizing principle for society and that will in turn eventually change what the most effective economic distribution system is again at some point but we're not yeah, there we're yet not, i'm not, way yeah, down a rabbit hole a, but yeah, we're, we're not at that tipping point yet. It, it's know, just Malcolm something Gladwell interesting is... that came up here when you talked about the fact of you know, Tobor replacing humanity in the automate in the automation. Then we brought down that rabbit hole about coding. Yeah, but but, but yeah. I mean, with 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 Tobor, that's years in the future. So yeah, we haven't been talking not, about the movie for fifteen minutes. Yeah, do we so, want to rate it and get out yeah, of here? Yeah, we should do that. I think we've got all our rips and picks out. So let's rate it. How many uh, clawed hands? I don't know. I didn't really think about this. this. Is the one time I didn't think about this. I'm gonna say how many G Willikers? I'm gonna give it six G Willikers. Um. It's a good movie. It's entertaining um, with, you know, five in my skills, thoroughly average. So it's a slightly above average movie, especially for its time. Um, it's a surface movie. It's, it's an adventure movie. And um, I almost, Tobor is almost a MacGuffin. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it misses a chance even for its time to really discuss issues on a deeper level that would have made, you know, a better science fiction film. And it misses the ability to make me care about these characters at all. And that, that's another thing. I don't care about the characters. I don't care about any of them. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a failing, too. So it's interesting. It's fun. It's not bad, but it's not exactly really good either. Yeah, I would give it about a five or six. It's, the characters are, are one-dimensional. They're designed to serve the purpose they're put in. The robot's fun. He's probably one of the highlights because if, especially if you wax nostalgic about old time techno uh, special effects and there is that concern about the the spying going on and where science going to take us and how do 
certain individuals try to use it for advantage against others. And that's there and that's good. It's it's minimal given the runtime and what studios and theaters made creators do at the moment, but it still leads to a very one-dimensional cast, very one-dimensional, just very quick, this is where we're going. It does make for an easy watch. You don't get bored so much unless you hate older films. But it also makes it incredibly average. It just doesn't do anything that makes me say, oh gosh, I want to watch this all the time. Maybe I'll watch it one more time in my life, but that's about it. So it's a very average robot movie. Yep. That's about the right way to sum it up. Best we can say it. It's got some good, it's got some bad, and it, it could have been the alternate title. Yeah, it yeah, got some a very got average some robot movie. Yeah, Tobor, yeah. the very average robot. Right. And if you want to see it, Sickies, go ahead and check it out on YouTube or wherever if you buy the physical yeah. media. But it is on DVD, I believe. And so and you can comment to us. But I would say if you also are cut for time, just see if there's a highlight video. And just watch the highlight video and there you go. So So speaking of that, you could get back to us. But before we close on out, I want to remind everyone about the other fine products, uh, products, shows on Raving Lunatic Media. Um, We have Ultra Vitality Mail on sale now. Only $29.99 a bottle. I need your nation to buy the Ultra Vitality Mail. Do you want to look like a fat slob with a barbecue stain in your T-shirt? Buy Ultra Vitality Mail. They're trying to shut us down, nation. Yep. Sorry. You just you do a very good Alex Jones. So there is we have Cold Case Chase. We have which is our uh it's a false flag operation. No, it is not a false flag operation. Cold Case Chase cool. is a false flag operation. It is a show by our very own Matt Ruckster, who is our who's doing uh Cold Case of murder or thievery or whatever. I don't think this Matt Rockstar really exists, Nation. No, he doesn't. They want you to believe he exists, but he doesn't exist. He's an AI. He's really Hillary Clinton in disguise. Crap, they're figuring me out. I gotta get out of here. Where's the nearest plane ticket to any country? Uh, Brazil? Brazil sounds fun. Bye. He is. So... So there's also Case Closed, which talks about crimes that have been solved. We have Cross-Examination, which goes back and discusses the uh, kind of like a talking dead view of a cold case chase. In fact, the recent one, Scott started with JFK. Definitely worth your time. Definitely worth a listen. And we have Case of the Chills, a more supernatural show coming up soon. And this Saturday, look out for a very special show that we have been working on that I, I, I have seen it, or I've seen it, I've heard it, and man, am I excited. I think that this is going to tickle a lot of people who grew up in the 80s and 90s and watched a lot of Saturday morning cartoons. I think this is going to catch your fancy. It's an audio drama, Zodiac Task Force. Stay tuned for that on Raving Lunatic Media. But in the meantime, if you want to ask us about any of those shows or how to contact us or go on Spotify or whatever, they can do so at... Info what? No. Uh, RavingLunaticMedia.com 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 Don't trust them, nation. Zodiac Task Force! 
is a front for the psionic vampires to brainwash your children. They're putting the messages in the Zodiac Task Force to brainwash your children. Don't do it. Buy my Ultra Vitality Mail. Ultra Vitality Mail. You'll be fat and won't be able to run a quarter mile. Ultra Vitality Mail. What's left for them to do, sickies? Now, before I actually do head off on this trip to Brazil now, apparently I'm doing that, go ahead, check out Zodiac Task Force. Make sure you do it this Saturday at 10 o'clock a.m. That's right, we're doing Saturday morning cartoons again. Who remembers those? Not me, apparently. Go check it out. Go have fun. I love you all. Stay sick. Rage, the show is, it's over. You can, you can stop doing your girl voices now. So what I told you was true. From. Sci-fi malady. The point of view.